I think it was Wendell Berry that said eating is an agricultural act and it just really recognises that but it really looks at the linkages between ecosystem health, um, agricultural practices and how that impacts human health and so there's many ways in which you know it does um, impact us so G'day and welcome to episode 45 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and it's an extra special episode today because it's exactly one year since we released our very first episode. Episode one was with Mark Leroy, and I suppose over the last 52 conversations that I've had, I've learned so much from so many different people in different areas. I think... To be completely honest, it was such a welcome distraction in Melbourne lockdown last year. It gave me something to really look forward to and conversations which I suppose kept me motivated and fueling my curiosity. I think I probably didn't completely understand what I was getting myself into when I committed to a weekly podcast and I'd love to thank absolutely everyone who's got behind the Humans of Ag podcast at any stage, whether you've listened to one minute or every episode. I think for me, I'm just so incredibly fascinated by what is happening in our food and fiber system. We have so much to learn off each other. And I think when it start, as we start to front up to some of the big challenges that the world is throwing at us naturally, food and agriculture is one sector which has always been relevant, but its relevance is just coming to the fore. And I think, There is so much happening in this sector and it's how it is interweaved into our everyday lives is something that is so incredibly special and something that I just love getting out of bed for every single day. I suppose some uh, random stats. Um, So we've had 25,000 downloads across 52, or this is our 52nd episode. It's been downloaded in 58 countries around the world. I'd hate to know how many minutes that is all up that people have listened to if i was to pick one thing that makes this so special is that late last year in november i took some time off and i actually had people who i've never met sending me a message and just checking that everything was okay through the humans of agriculture instagram because the episode wasn't up i suppose that level of accountability it's absolutely kept me honest but i think it's uh incredibly special to it, it as it's just testament to the type of people that are tuning in from whether it's been talking about food security to understanding nutrition to understanding farming practices to something that's really close to my heart around mental health um we have had tangible impacts we have had people reach out for support when they've needed it and so thank you for everyone that has supported the cause and that's definitely enough for me let's jump into today's episode and I'm incredibly excited to welcome Stacey Curcio to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, LAWD, specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. You can find out more at www.lawd.com.au. It's been really special to have LAWD come on board in the last few weeks, and I suppose it shows that what we're doing maybe has a bit of potential. Stacey Curcio is the founder and business owner of Cultivating Wellness. She grew up in central Queensland and is the daughter of Terry McCosker, who recently appeared on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Today, I'm very interested to understand more about the holistic approach to health, where Stacey's interests came from, and find out more about the relationship between our ecosystems and the flow and impacts that it can have on human health. As Stacey describes, her big picture is to improve the health and well-being of others and demonstrate the value of lifestyle, nutrition, and naturopathic medicine. For our first family double up, it's nearly a meet the McCoskers. So thank you very much for jumping on the Humans of Agriculture podcast, Stacey. Welcome. It is. We're keeping it in the family. Thanks for having me, Ollie. It's good to be here. It's quite a long intro. I I was um, fascinated talking to your dad. And to be honest, I probably didn't. I probably didn't know enough about him uh, and just the breadth of work, but I suppose when he's been in the industry for 50 odd years, it's, there's a bit to it. Yeah, absolutely. And an industry that's, um, you know, that's changing so rapidly and has had so much change as well. So it's a bit like the health industry really in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose. So you grew up. Yeah. I'm guessing you followed your dad 
around a little bit with his work. But whereabouts was home for you and, and where did you spend your childhood? Yeah, so it was primarily, so it was a bit of time in the Northern Territory, but primarily in Yapoon. Um, so sort of about half an hour from Rockhampton, coastal central Queensland, and that's where my sisters and I basically did all of our schooling. Um, and then after that, and that's where mum and dad sort of, um, I suppose, founded a lot of the core uh, education platforms that are delivered now through um, through RCS. But, you know, so, so during that time, um, yeah, it was, it's a wonderful place, I think, to grow up. And it's part of the reason why I've, I've brought my kids here and, and my husband and we're back here um, because it's a, it's a lovely little place to raise a family. But after I finished, um, I sort of was a bit of a gypsy and went travelling for a little while with some friends and I couldn't wait to just sort of explore the world. And, um, and then about 15 years after being away from here, I've landed back here. So about five years ago, yeah, we moved back after I had my first, my first baby. Yeah, right. So a bit of a gypsy traveling the world. Was that for anything in particular or was it just seeing what's out there? Oh, yeah, it was just seeing what was, what's out there. So we did do quite a bit of travel around Australia um, growing up. But, you know, I never, so I'd never seen the snow, for example. Um, and I just was really, really curious to see the snow and I just wanted to explore. Yeah. And, um, and so it was great. I had some amazing friends that are still my great girlfriends. And we did that for a little while. And I, I learned a lot, I think, about what I didn't want to do um, as well as what I did want to do. And, and spent a lot of time working in sort of hospitality and those sorts of things when, you know, you learn so much about a place and how to, how to work with people, I think, um, working in hospitality. So it was good grounding. But, but eventually that did get, um, yeah, a little bit dated and I wanted to do something else. And I'd always, always had this interest in nutrition, um, but it was really just a curiosity that hadn't, it didn't really go anywhere but I remember when I was in grade, going here when I was younger, clearly it has now, but um, when I was in grade 12, I did a, we were asked to do in English, we were asked to do a, a um, basically a, an essay on whatever we wanted when, when I was in grade 12. And, and so I chose omega-3 fatty acids because <laughs> I just read a book on omega-3 fatty acids and found them fascinating. And so from, you know, I did have some sort of inklings of, interest in nutrition then um, but the urge to travel was was greater than settling down to study um, but then eventually I did settle into study in Melbourne and that's when I did my um, Bachelor of Health Science in Naturopathy um, and then after that I did my Master of Human Nutrition and so what I wanted to do was basically learn more about the human body and nutrition but in a really holistic way and I think that holistic approach did come from um, mum and dad and the business, um, you know, RCS and what they teach in regards to the principles of regenerative agriculture. Because um, in many ways, holistic medicine and holistic and holistic view of the body, even um, you know, it's it's based on ecological principles in some way, in some ways. And so there is a bit of a, a crossover there. So I suspect that's why um, I wanted to learn about at the body and nutrition from that perspective it's fascinating i think like back back then when you were make i suppose making the conscious choice around holistic health was were things like soil health and that actually talked about or is that only i suppose a relatively new uh piece well they were talked about but it wasn't um you know for me it was sort of just something that was always in the background about, um, you know, the importance of diversity, for example, and the importance of um, reducing disturbance or, you know, the importance of uh, a, um, treating the whole of a landscape, not the individual parts of a landscape. And so that was always stuff that had just sort of been in the background um, for me in terms of principles, you know, and we, you know, we had charts and stuff all over the house and I was always in the office helping mum and dad doing things. So that was just always there. But it wasn't really um, something that I consciously thought, yes, I want to put this in the context of human health. It wasn't until I actually started to learn about um, naturopathy and naturopathic medicine and nutrition medicine more and um, the human body more. And I thought, wow, these principles really lap over. You know, we talk so much about diversity um, and the importance of dietary diversity, for example, for, for longevity and, and chronic um, health you know, um, chronic disease risk reduction, sorry. And we talk a lot about, 
you know, maintaining good, um, good gut health, which is sort of like maintaining, you know, good soil health and, and the biology there. Um, so there is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of crossover there, which is, which is nice. And I can imagine that you guys would have had some pretty fascinating conversations around the dinner table too. And just, I suppose. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. I was learning um, through your dad and the work he was doing. Did you ever think like, yeah, a career in agriculture or kind of down the path of what he was doing was ever of interest or not really? didn't know to be honest Ollie I never really had that thing when I was younger that said yes this is what I want to do but I did always have an interest in the environment and how it worked and I and ecosystems I guess I always had an interest in how the human body worked as well and I think once you start to learn about just how the human body functions then you can't not be interested in nutrition because um, you know it's such a fundamental aspect of our biochemistry and so it's sort of just snowballed from there, I think. Um, and it still keeps me up at, up at night researching because it's just such a fascinating area, I think. And it's such an evolving area as well. The human health generally, but also, you know, nutrition within that and naturopathic medicine within that. Yeah. And I think like what, what excites me, whether it's human health or I suppose the agriculture side and the farming piece as well, it's this shift of being, I suppose, reactive to really being really proactive in the in the conversations and research around what are the causes not just purely around what are symptoms of ill health for instance or ill balance yeah yeah definitely and so one of the fundamental principles of um of naturopathic medicine is treat the cause so identify and treat the cause um we've also got principles like the healing power of nature um which is yeah is is just um we can get to that later but you know it's such has such a profound impact um, on our physiology in many ways um, and also principles like prevention you know and and the power of preventative medicine which um, is many ways crossovers crossovers with um has crossovers with lifestyle medicine which is what naturopaths learn a lot about so you know I think it is sometimes I think in, in naturopathic medicine or when I'm consulting with someone there is an element of symptomatic support but there's also um, this drive to want to know why. You know, I think the two words that naturopaths use the most are, but why, but why, you know, <laughs> because we do really want to know what's going on and what that cause is. So, for example, if someone has a diagnosed iron deficiency, then absolutely we're going to rectify that deficiency through perhaps dietary and supplemental support um, and and help them with their symptoms of fatigue and and you know, brain fog and all the different things that can come alongside iron deficiency. But at the same time, we're asking, how did this happen? How can we prevent this happening again? Um, and how do we get to the, the crux of the issue? And on that too, like I'm just thinking when it comes to talking with friends or whoever, like I think deficiencies seem to be fairly common and a lot of people are supplementing them. But it, it also seems like it's prolonged deficiencies too, where people are saying, oh, like I've always had it. Is that concerning just I suppose the longevity of these deficiencies that exist it is because if there's there's sort of two things that determine the impact of that deficiency state I suppose and how much of an impact it'll have on your body um, one of them is the severity of that deficiency and the other is the chronicity of that deficiency so absolutely how long it's been present for um, and what sort of flow-on effects it may have had in that time so, I mean, it is something that, you know, we want to be, try to be proactive about, absolutely, um, and not leave, you know, to the last thing on our to-do list to get to that, 
to get to that iron deficiency that I know has been there since I've had the kids, which was a decade ago. You know, and it's it is really important to jump on it. I think um, so it doesn't turn into more than it than it than it than it should be, and it doesn't it doesn't um, I suppose impact someone's daily quality of life as well, um, so that they can actually feel like they're they're functioning with more quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's nothing worse than I suppose just that feeling of tiredness or sluggishness, let alone if it's prolonged and ongoing. Yeah. And so I'd love to understand a bit more. So can you just share with us and probably with me more so uh, just around what is a naturopath and yeah, what what is the type of work you do, I suppose, and then if you guys specialise in certain areas? Mm, Such a good question because I often assume that people know what it is a naturopath does, but that's not the case. And in fact, when I was in um, my, I remember sitting in my first lecture of my first day, um, enrolled in the Bachelor of Health Science in naturopathy in Melbourne. And I remember sitting around thinking, wow, I have um, no major health concerns that have made me or have led me to see a naturopath. So I hadn't actually had any exposure to naturopaths and I actually didn't know what it was that they did. Yet I still knew in that moment that this was absolutely where I wanted to be because the modality itself and the approach to health just made complete sense to me and it felt right to me. Um, So I think it is important to actually just talk about what it is that a naturopath does. And so I think one of the delineations is is consultation times. And so often um, a naturopath, because we ask so many questions around but why, but why, we also want to know a lot about someone's medical history, um, want to know about, you know, their, their, what's happened through them throughout different aspects or stages of their life, I suppose. We want to know about their personal goals and their preferences. We want to know about environmental influences, um, you know, so much about their physical and emotional health that we, we need a bit longer to do that. We need longer than 7 to 14, 15 minutes. You know, we need often an hour um, to actually gain the information that we need to really help that person. So often, yeah, there are extended um, consultation times. Often there's a heavy focus on lifestyle medicine, um, which really is around someone's, you know, their their physical activity levels, their stress levels, their alcohol levels, um, you know, whether they smoke or not, and their dietary practices as well. And so, you know, that, again, that takes a bit of time to dig into, but that element of lifestyle is is, um, really at the core, I think, of what we what we want to focus on and address and support someone through. Um, but then if we feel the need for intervention or um, advice and, you know, we see it fit for that person, then, of course, it'll be around lifestyle medicine. Um, it'll potentially be around any sort of supplements like I gave with the example of iron deficiency. But that's not a frontline treatment. Um, and naturopaths are trained in nutritional medicine but they're also trained in um, botanical or herbal medicine as well and so that's quite a specialty uh, field and often you know herbs or plants and um, and nutrients can work really well together but they have to be indicated um, and that usually comes after you know a lot of advice and talking around around diet and lifestyle so that's probably um, the core of it but we do know that you know I suppose um, the title naturopath isn't actually at this point in time a protected title. So it's really important, I think, if someone is going to see a naturopath that they make sure that they've had adequate training. Um, and so I always recommend someone to look for someone that's had um, got a Bachelor of Health Science, preferably, and uh, in naturopathy. Um, because, you know, nothing's stopping anyone from calling themselves a naturopath without having the proper training um, there is a company called Arona, which stands for the Australian Register of Naturopaths and Herbalists. And that's a growing registration body for naturopaths. So any members of the public can also grow there. And, and, and if someone's registered with Arona, then they have had adequate training um, in complementary alternative, alternative medicines and naturopathic medicine to be able to, you know, give, give advice yeah, in these areas and really up-to-date evidence-based advice as well. And because that's a really interesting point, which was something I wanted to talk to you about. It was around, I, th- I think, like nearly this on-trend piece around nutrition and we're seeing influencers really jumping into the space and, yeah, pushing products or information. Um, does does the level of interest around nutrition like, from these groups, does it excite or does it frustrate you? Um, I think that... 
it's always good when people want to know more. It really is. Um, but I think in any field, there is a, you know, there's a, a conundrum that, that people can find themselves in and the broader community can find themselves in when you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so I think the more that you know in an area, the more you realise you don't know. Um, and so that really applies to nutrition. And there's a lot of dogmatism and black and white thinking in nutrition. And that's what frustrates me. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of vested interests and it could be argued even that the wellness industry, you know, generally has sort of been hijacked by commercial interest and these sort of um, really black and white approaches. And I'm definitely not a fan of that at all. And that, that does frustrate me at times. But I also see that generally someone's level of, nutrition literacy or body literacy is pretty good you know and so we want to I think that's great that, that people know a bit and they want to know more um, but I think we've got to go into that with open mind and non-judgment and knowing that there is a whole lot of grey in nutrition and in health generally there's a lot of grey um, and so we need to sort of I think let go of a, bit of a lot of that black and white thinking around it. Yeah and so you just mentioned the wellness industry as well which like yeah you think of I suppose I'm allowed to say names like your Swisses and like those there's seriously big commercial companies that uh, are yeah global like multinationals that are playing in this space like it, it is a massive industry but where does I suppose the the term wellness where does it start and where does it stop mm, again a really good thing to 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 talk about because often you know I suppose there's a perception sometimes that wellness is smoothies and supplements and kombucha and crystals. And it's just, <laughs> it's not, you know, it is so much more than that. Um, so we know that, you know, a person's wellness basically encompasses their physical health, their emotional health, their social, um, the social aspect of their life, the their job, um, their finances or socioeconomic background, the environment. There's so many things that do play into the, the, the well, actual definition of wellness. And so it is, it is, as I said, a lot more than kombucha and crystals and smoothies and supplements. Um, and I think we need to remember that um, as, as consumers and know that as well. Uh, but also remember too that, you know, the, the, the global wellness industry is worth uh, $4.5 trillion and it's a Holy growing moly. industry. Yeah, it's massive. And actually complementary and alternative medicine and what practitioners like myself do only make up a very small part of that. A lot of it is, you know, big wellness and big commercial interests. And so, you know, I think it's about, um, for me, wellness is really about knowing what it is first um, and not getting caught up um, in the hype or the black and white thinking or the commercial sort of aspect of it. And for me, it's about, you know, if someone's deliberately making an effort to be healthier, whether that be in their mind or their body, no matter, no matter how big or small, that effort is, then they're working on their wellness, you know, and sometimes people require help with that if the circumstances, um, you know, if they, yeah, if they feel like they need a bit of support with any of those aspects that I was talking about that encompass wellness. And sometimes, you know, they won't need support and it's stuff that they can really do on themselves. Like I'm going to make it, make an effort to cut back on alcohol. I'm going to make an effort to move my body more, to get into nature more, to, um, to go to bed that little bit earlier and just to eat some more veggies tomorrow. You know, that is making a big impact on, on their wellness. Um, so I think at its core, it's, it's about implementing strategies to, to, for someone to live their life more fully and have more of that quality of life. And so on the, I suppose, like, as you're mentioning the different, I suppose, areas that flow into wellness, it, it makes me think of like the ag supply chain piece as well, but like how, how much interaction and collaboration is there like uh, within and amongst the groups, or is it very much individualized and this is your area, this is where you sit and so forth? Oh, that's a good question. And I don't know that I know the answer to that because I can only speak from, you know, from my experience. Um, but I think that what, what needs to happen is that there is a lot of, um, I suppose there's a lot of airtime, especially with social media being given to, you know, claims and perhaps companies that um, don't have the training or the evidence to sort of back what they say. Um, and so there needs to actually be a lot more balance and nuanced conversations, I think, around wellness and what the definition is, um, you know, and how people can achieve that in a way that's really practical and realistic for them. And, 
And, you know, so, so sometimes there is this crossover between industries that talk to each other. But, you know, I think it's such a, it's such a massive thing um, and it is global that often there is also at the same time a lot of segmentation around this is this particular element of aspect whether that um, wellness sorry whether that be you know um, related to you know ecotourism and wellness retreats and those sorts of things um, you know versus this particular element of, of wellness which might be the use of complementary and alternative medicines but you know there is a small amount of crossover as well but it is a it is an evolving evolving field definitely is yeah and it's a bloody big money maker too so yeah yep absolutely and i think that's what really fascinates me about you stacy is i think like you you bring this i suppose yeah the farming and soil piece like you're the daughter of terry which is huge in itself and just that wealth of knowledge that comes with it but in terms of like on on your website you mentioned this eco nutrition and then i think i also want to ask you about um your qualification you did around nutrition farming but yeah I I suppose just purely around like eco nutrition I'd love to understand Mm. more about that and is that something like a a phrase that you've coined or or what is it yeah so it's not a phrase I've coined um and (laughs) no no I'm not going to claim that one um but basically it speaks to this uh idea that of course, there's no delineation between what's in our plate, um, the eco- ecosystem health and, you know, agricultural practices. They are, it's a, it's a spectrum, right? It's a continuum. And so um, what, I think it was Wendell Berry that said eating is an agricultural act. And it just really recognises that. But it really looks at the linkages between ecosystem health, um, agricultural practices and how that impacts human health. And so there's many ways in which you know, it does um, impact us. So, you know, a simple one, for example, might be considering uh, the soil management practices used, um, you know, within a farm and the nutrient density of that product. So that's one way, you know, biodiversity is another is another way in which we're impacted by the farming practices, but also, you know, the health of um, the ecology. And so there's some great research papers in this area. Um, and it's not, it's not actually a new area. Um, but it's just something that I find really interesting. And again, this probably comes back to the back, my background a little bit because I just find it really interesting thinking about things from more of a macro perspective rather than always from a micro perspective. So, you know, for me, I love going into the detail of, you know, the intricacies of nutritional biochemistry, for example, um, and the intricacies of how plants or a um, you know, or a, a herbal, yeah, herbal medicine or a nutrient might work within a body. But I also love coming right out and really taking that, um, that truly, I think, holistic view of not what is just happening in that person's environment, but what's happening in the larger environment and the larger um, sort of ecosystem, I suppose, knowing that, you know, the health of the ecosystem um, is so, well, it, it's, it's reflected in our health. Um, yeah, so... I suppose if you want me to, I can go a little bit more into even just how we are um, perhaps linked, you know, to our environment. Um, so biodiversity is one of the areas that I talked about. But also, you know, we we know that, yeah, I suppose, if, you know, if we could bottle, um, put in a pill what nature can give us, it would sell like hotcakes, you know. It, it, there's no pill or potion actually that can match what nature can do for us. Um, and this growing area of sort of nature therapies and how important they are, especially during COVID times, you know, they don't just feel good for us. They also save trillions of dollars actually in, in healthcare costs. Um, and so there's a lot of evidence again, that this sort of, this increasing the health of, of our environment absolutely increases our health physically, uh, emotionally and mentally. So there was one interesting study um, in, I think it was done through Griffith Uni in, in Australia, obviously. And they, they found that national parks um, and other nature protected areas save approximately $6 trillion globally in mental health care costs. And they found that two and a half to three percent, yeah, two and a half to three percent of a person's mental health is actually based on how much they visit parks. Now that actually might not sound like a lot, but it's about the same effect of um, increasing someone's wage or an additional income on their mental health. So it's also not a small impact. 
Um, and the other thing too, I mean, so there's those mental health impacts, I think, of just being in green and blue spaces and being around nature. But we also know that our environment, you know, can can modulate and change our, our, our genome and our genetic function. So this is, you know, this amazing field of epigenetics, which has um, been getting a lot of airtime in the last decade, and rightly so. It's basically how our genes are influenced by our environment, and they can be upregulated and downregulated. So it's another way in which we you know, interact with, with our environment and, and broader ecosystems. Um, hormones is another way. So we know that there's some foods and plants that carry what we call phytoestrogens and contain phytoestrogens, and they basically modulate the estrogen levels by receptors in our own body. So that's another way, you know, in which we're, I suppose, you know, we're, we're interacting with that environment. And then, of course, you know, there's the microbiome um, impacts as well, which we know are related to our environment. And in some ways, it's actually hard, I think, to delineate or um, differentiate where, say, a human's microbiome is, you know, is separate from the microbiome around them because there is no neat line, right? You know, it's, it's a, again, it's a continuum. And so we, we are constantly crossing over, you know, into these environments and, and our body is getting those messages um, in many ways, but, you know, through the microbiome is, is one of those ways. And um, so the, the person that I came across eco-nutrition firstly was a, a professor, Mark Walkest, and he's um, a retired professor now, and he's from Monash University, and he's written some papers in this area. But one of the quotes that, that um, comes to mind that, that, he, that he said was being synchronous with nature is a mark of good health. Um, and, you know, it, it's really as simple as that. But it is in and of itself, I think, something that, you know, we can all do a little bit more of um, and gain the benefits of. Yeah, no, I was actually listening to a TED talk yesterday and I'm trying to think what it was called, but it was literally that point that you made there around nat uh, national parks um, and the health and wellness. Like what this guy was talking about was, I think the topic was love, sorrow and I was, dare say wellness, probably got that wrong. But he was saying like, choose your favourite spot in nature, whether it's sitting down on the beach or wherever, and then imagine that that disappears tomorrow and then how that would impact you and when you start to think of it like that it, it's remarkable that's um yeah statistic two and a half percent of your mental health is based on how often you visit the park yeah yep that's fascinating yep, absolutely. yeah yeah it is and I think you know for not for everyone but for many people it's achievable and it's even achievable in micro ways so if you can't make it to a national park or if you don't you know, live in a um, beautiful sort of natural environment, then of course, you know, you can bring a pot plant into your office. You can have a screensaver that's of a rainforest. You know, you can um, hear water in the background. You can, yeah, there's, there's so many different ways you can actually bring a bit of that into, into your life as well, which I think still has an impact, you know, on, on mental health. And I think what's interesting too, like, so when it comes to the, say the healthcare piece is a lot of, the money and where it goes is into the reaction or the, yeah, the outcome of ill health initially. Like that's where I'd love to know. And I suppose there's no right answer, but like where you'd see the tipping point of where we start to look at, I suppose the food system more holistically and understand like each mm. of the individual roles. So the, the role of the farmer, the role of the middlemen, the movers, and then also like how the consumer fits into that and just how much influence I think, each has on on the other do you see there being a tipping point or a kind of a key event that could instigate that i think it's probably already started ollie and it's just continuing with that snowball effect um because there are so many more people now you know interested in this concept concept of nutrient density they're wanting to connect with their farmer they're wanting to protect their ecosystems around them because they know how important they are so there is a lot of that happening um, already. And I don't know when the tipping point will come. But, you know, I think one of the things for me as a health professional that I think is really, really important is that we learn from people that are on the ground producing food. Um, I think it's so important. And I, I think there's also some, some things that potentially the food producers can also learn from health professionals, you know. So it, it's a two-way street. And I think... Um, the learning is really, really important, but it's about integration within each other's, you know, um, worlds and actually sitting at the table at the same time all together rather than just sort of the health professionals sitting over here and, 
you know, the um, the ecologist sitting over here and the producers sitting over here, everyone really needs to be sitting at the same table for that true whole systems, um, you know, approach. And so everyone can add their, their little bit, I think. And that is happening more and more. Uh, and the consumer wants that to happen more and more as well. But um, I just think, you know, if we could if we could pick up the pace a little bit, even <laughs> that would be that would be great because oh, it'd be nice, it wouldn't so, it? <laughs> oh, wouldn't it? And um, you know, it is it is so so important. I think, yeah. And what what I do find interesting, and I, I mentioned it to your dad as well, which seems funny saying that, but um, mentioned it to Terry in our episode, and like, so I've I've spoken with. Um, a couple of nutritionists before, but then I spoke with, and they were obviously talking about the role of gut health and the microbiome, et cetera. And then I spoke, was speaking with uh, Steve Faulkner, who is a viticulturalist, and he was talking about applying fertilizers and chemicals, basically a similar way of like you use antibiotics. And so it's to shock, or I suppose, yeah, get on top of what, what the shock is in that system, but then it's about bringing the balanced diet into it. And what I find so interesting, and it's this communication piece, whether it's within the agriculture industry or more broadly, there's very similar philosophies that people talk about, but mm. it's in a different concept, whether it's talking about, yeah, soil health or it's the human health. They're still talking about some sort of ecosystem and, and balancing it, whether that's in a person or in the plant. That's exactly right. And I remember the first sort of ag um conference I went to as a as it as, after I'd graduated and I could have been you know really at a nutrition conference um or a medicine an emerging medicine conference even either in the sense that they were talking about epigenetics they were talking about treating the sort of cause of things and what the causes might be they were talking about biology and um you know and and microbiome health um you know that there was just so much crossover between the topics and and yeah the, the the viewpoints um and yeah definitely how we're how we're coming at things and I think you know one of the, the biggest shifts I've seen is there seems to be more of um an understanding that we need to sort of rehabilit rehabilitate you know environments whether it's our own environment or the larger environment and regenerate you know our own environment the larger environment um, rather than sort of suppress and knock out and, um, you know, view view our bodies really, I think, as, as battlefields rather than viewing them as, you know, gardens to be tended. And that was a beautiful quote that I read a couple of weeks ago um, that did say that, that we need to look at our bodies less as battlefields to be con conquered and more as gardens to be tended. Um, and that involves, you know, rehabilitation and regeneration um, rather than, you know, suppress and kill sort of mentality. Yeah, it's... Incredible, isn't it? But it's a whole mindset shift because I think it goes goes back to the like we we're so used to having immediate outcomes and wanting immediate outcomes. But when it comes to changes like this, particularly yeah, if you're looking for overall health, like it's not just going to happen overnight. It's really about adjusting and adapting within that ecosystem that you're part of. Absolutely, yeah. It it, it won't happen overnight. Um, but as the is it the hair ad? <laughs> <laughs> it will happen you know it's um it's it does take a bit of time to to re regain balance I think um but often it doesn't in my experience even with human health it depends on what's going on but often it doesn't take as long as what someone sort of thinks it is I think especially or it will take especially if you're taking that really um I suppose that really macro view of things and rather than just focusing on one aspect of you know, we're just going to work on the diet or we're just going to take this supplement. How about we think about, well, how about, you know, the, the, the larger, those larger factors around wellness that I talked about and how we can, you know, look at all of those so that we're coming at this from many different angles. Do you think we're all, I know at the start you mentioned that you went and you were a bit of a gypsy for a few years. Do you think we're all starting to go back and become a bit more hippie-esque with our approaches with, yeah, just generally? Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> um, I think for me it's always been just the way that I've, and again, it's probably credit to or due to my folks and credit to my folks that it's just sort of the way that the perspective that I've had. Um, but I think that there's real merit and value um, in all of that. You know, there's, there's, and there's a lot of evidence behind it all as well. This is not sort of woo-woo stuff, especially from a, 
naturopathic perspective, you know, the days of, as I said, you know, um, even snake oil and crystals, you know, they're, they're long gone. It's really about what we know about the body now, what we know about, um, you know, ecosystem health. And what we know about the microbiome is, is amazing. And we're going to learn so much more about all those things, but we can do a whole lot based on what we already know. That to me is just sort of common sense. You know, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's nothing sort of out there for me, I don't think. Um, but, but maybe I'm, I'm skewed because I've been in it for so long. Yeah, interesting. I'd love to know, so your work with Joy McClymont with off-the-track training and so obviously working with, people all over Australia in remote places and, and doing, I suppose, yeah, not only the, the fitness aspects of what Joe is, uh, Joy, sorry, is right into, but then bringing the nutrition piece into it. Like how, how's that been received? And I suppose, yeah, what have you learned and what have yeah been some of the highlights of that? Mm, that's been, um, I'm really pr- privileged to do that. So she, yeah, heads up um, a company called Off The Track Training and as part of that, one of her programs, her key programs is called Joy's Fitness Hub. And so it's been going for about five or six years now. And right from the start, you know, she sort of said, would you mind just providing some nutrition support for the members? But it's evolved into much more than just fitness and nutrition. You know, there's a whole team of amazing professionals in there um, to help the members and, and members are all around Australia now, which is amazing and I have learned so much about the world that they live in um, which I think is really important so that I can support them as much as, as possible when it comes to you know nutrition um, so there's yeah that that is definitely a really rewarding element of what I do and I think it makes I would hope anyway that it makes nutrition advice um, and nutrition support accessible and doable and realistic and practical and all those things that you know, really important when you want to just sort of implement some change. Um, it needs to be all of those things. And so, you know, it's, it's been a great, um, it's, been, it's been great to be part of that. And Joy is, you know, she's such a trailblazer and she really, truly cares about, you know, the health and well-being of, of well, everyone that she meets, I think. But, you know, the members and really, really meeting them where they're at and how we can help to support not just your everyday, day-to-day quality of life, but, you know, how can we really be in it for the long game so that this is not a restrictive diet and a, a grueling exercise regime? This is actually just, again, a paradigm shift and a change of life and, and you can enjoy the journey, you know, um, enjoy the process, uh, but also experience the, the benefits that come, come with that. Yeah, no, definitely. I've, um, she was the MC at a conference for the Young Beef Producers Forum a couple of years ago. And she had us doing star jumps in between just to make sure everyone was awake. She is full of energy. So I know like how well everyone took it there. I can imagine what it's like with one of her programs. It'd just be, yeah, it's infectious. It is infectious. And, you know, I think it's, um, it's infectious because she's coming at it from a place that's sort of fun and, you know, something is always better than nothing is her mantra. Um, and I think the true can be the same can be said and the same truth can be applied to to nutrition in many ways you know there there might be what's the gold standard you know for how many what are our veggie goal posts and what are our you know um, nutrient goal posts each day for example but then there's actually just you know doing a bit better than what we did yesterday um, and that's really I think you know really important to help people take that next step um, and they can take as many steps as they want you know but it's just the next step that I think you know is really important and the programs hopefully and from the feedback we're getting, um, you know, do help people do that. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. One thing I'd love to know, Stacey, and, and I suppose coming from working in the industry of health and wellness was, so when you had children, how much did that, I suppose, shift? And, and I suppose the reason I ask this is when I'm looking at our target audience, I, the majority are probably 28 through to 44 years old. And I think like when it comes to making decisions around food and building that connection, I, I feel like mothers are really pivotal to this and I might get my assumptions wrong here, but because, yeah, I'd love to know when you have children, how does that approach to the shopping, but also the food and nutrition aspects change and yeah. How did it change for you? Yeah, I think for me, um, it made me, sort of think about what what foundations I wanted to 
um, provide for the kids. So great nutrition was only one element of that. I re and Adam and I, my, my husband, I really wanted to, um, I suppose, get the kids to understand not not about what's quote unquote healthy and unhealthy. We wanted to, and we still do want the kids to know about where food comes from, um, whether that be protein or fiber, you know, and and what goes into producing food. Um, so we're, for example, we're, we've got some pigs at the moment um, and those pigs will be processed next week. And, you know, our little one um, is five, our eldest little one is five and she's such an animal lover, but it's taught her so much about, you know, well, this is where our, our protein and this is where our pork comes from. Um, and we've given these animals a wonderful life and, you know, they're, and we're very grateful for them. And she's learning a lot you know, from that experience. And, you know, it's when we think about even just um, many aspects of, of, I suppose, the life that we want them to have at the moment, it's it's sort of really, yeah, understanding that I suppose how much work and time and effort and patience um, goes into, you know, food production and really just making it a bit of fun as well so that they understand those linkages, I suppose, and not all stuff comes... Um, well, nothing comes directly from a box, you know. <laughs> it has to come from somewhere before that. And where is that place? And so asking, getting them to ask questions. But also it made me, um, so that was sort of from a, a, I suppose, from a mother's perspective, but also from a personal perspective, it definitely made me realise as well that, uh, you know, from a, as a practitioner, for example, so the five years before we moved to Gladstone, I, I um, owned a multimodality and ran a, a very busy multimodality clinic. And I basically lived in there, you know, it was, and it was a wonderful experience, but I was really, um, I suppose it wasn't authentic to what I know to be true for health. So for example, I was vitamin D deficient, you know, because I was in artificial light all day. I wasn't getting time in nature. I wasn't, um, you know, exposing myself. I wasn't getting enough sleep. My stress levels were too high, you know, all these things that that I know aren't beneficial for me, I think after becoming a mum just became priority rather than being something that I know I should do, but I'll get to that one day after having kids. It's like, no, no, this is absolutely critical because if I'm not looking after myself um, and I don't have balance, then neither will they. And so that was really, really important as well. But, you know, we, we also just wanted to have a play around a little farm and grow, grow, a, bit, grow a bit of our own food and... Um, you know, so that, that we were, you know, providing them with, with nutrient-dense food when we could. And um, and that's been, that's been a good learning experience too. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's incredible. I think, yeah, not only, I suppose, are you able to teach them about it, but you're actually able to, yeah, give them that first-hand experience, which would be, it's fascinating and it's so, I suppose, important and for the kids to be in that situation, they're pretty lucky. Yeah, it is. They are, well, we think they're pretty lucky, but also, you know, it teaches them um, that there's work involved and yeah. nothing comes for nothing. And that's really, really important. And we don't think it's, you know, too young to be, um, you know, instilling those sort of principles into them too. But it's it's a good way for them to spend their time is tending to chickens and guinea fowls and pigs and you know, <laughs> um, picking weeds and, you know, collecting lights from the tree. And it's, 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 a, it's a good, you know, hopefully um, ticks a lot of the sort of those eco-nutrition boxes that I was talking about for them and, you know, and they're thriving, which is really, really great. Yeah, I reckon it sounds like a pretty good childhood. <laughs> now, <laughs> one question which I, when I remember, uh, no, I try and ask everyone on the podcast. And I think what's interesting too is the sort of different backgrounds um, of the people I get in and who are like, I suppose, who we see as what a human of agriculture is, which I suppose just to give you the definition is anyone who, is bettering themselves or the world around them through their influence of the food and fiber system. And so absolutely you're ticking that box. Um, but it's interesting who I suppose sees themselves as part of it, but not, but um, what I'd love to know from your end is uh, yeah. Some advice to year 10 school students. I choose them because I think year 10 is quite a pivotal age when you're thinking about what's next and where the aspirations lie, but what would be some careers and or life advice for them and yeah it can either be through I suppose an agriculture lens through the nutrition lens whatever um it may be I think um I think the biggest one would probably be at that age just getting them out of their little world um and into someone else's world 
that is, you know, that is sort of related to that, whether it be the ecosystem health, whether it be, um, you know, the, the farming side of things, whatever within that they feel most interested by. But I think actually just sort of getting them, getting them out of their world and out of their own little bubbles, I suppose, which as a teenager, I sort of think back and think I was very much in my own bubble. You know, I was sort of, sort of absorbing what was going on around me, but not really. Um, so I think, you know, that that's really important. But also it would be to, um, from, a, from a nutritional perspective as well, just, I think, before rushing into any, any sort of um, trends, it would be really to get as many different viewpoints on that particular trend um, as possible. And so, you know, I think, for example, there's a big, obviously, big trend with going plant-based at the moment. And a lot of that is happening in, you know, teenagers and, um, and people in their 20s. And I think, you know, it's just knowing, okay, well, what is this? What does it mean? How do you do this in the best way possible so that you've still got wonderful diversity and you're taking as many nutrients as possible? And then of the nutrients that may be lacking if you do do this long-term, how do we monitor that and move forward? So it's just sort of making an informed choice around food um, and dietary patterns rather than something that, you know, has been seen on social media and um, and it's just run with in a in a way that's, that's, that's unhealthy. Um, and I think too, you know, there's, well, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to, I think, our relationship and our mindset around food. Um, and I think it's really, really important. So even with my little ones at the moment, it's very much around, you know, we don't call food healthy or unhealthy. We call it important and non-important food. So, you know, it's, it's also a lot of the language that we, we use around, um, around food, I think, could probably be improved. And, and the relationship that a lot of people do have with food, I think, could probably improved as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is such a, I suppose, powerful and key point just around the, the language, whether, yeah, I think in your case, it's specific to food, but kind of generally too, but we, the language we use can be so divisive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, you very yeah, much thanks. for jumping on the the podcast and joining us it's yeah been fascinating and yeah you've certainly answered all the questions that i kind of could think of and i'm sure there's more so thank you for jumping on oh thanks for your time ollie it's been great well i hope you enjoyed that episode with stacy curse yeah i think where it was understanding just i suppose the nutrition health balance areas or if it was specifically about just her point uh, around, I suppose, the, the mental well-being and mental health aspects of being near uh, national parks. Stacey has such an incredible depth of knowledge. You can find out more at her website, cultivatingwellness.com.au, and the link is in the show notes. I'm incredibly excited. Next week, we have Stuart Austin joining the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Stuart's background, as we'll touch on next week, but earlier this year, his company, Wilmot Cattle Company, facilitated half a million dollar transaction with Microsoft in carbon credits. Um, his background is incredibly exciting, and I love talking to him. Everything from understanding how to manage people, how to manage business, and what it was like to have that PR spotlight shone on him earlier this year. Look after yourselves, stay sane. Stay safe and I look forward to joining you next week.